Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to The Old Men and the Three ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. You know what gets me through the home stretch of the NBA season? A solid mystery thriller, which is why I highly recommend checking out Audible. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You'll always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. I'm currently listening to The Wager by David Grant. It's a thrilling story of shipwreck, survival, and savagery, culminating in a court-martial that reveals a shocking truth. And good news, as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. And... New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash JJ or text JJ to 500-500. That's audible.com slash JJ or text JJ to 500-500. Welcome to the Old Man of the Three with JJ Reddick and Tommy Alter brought to you by 342 Productions. This is episode 157, Trey Murphy plus a mailbag. Uh, Tommy, another incredible night of games last night. Uh, Miami Heat win in overtime, erase a double-digit deficit in the fourth quarter. Uh, Sacramento and Golden State was another high, high-paced game. Uh, and uh, Grizzlies had a big night, extended that series. Very excited about both the Western Conference Game 6s, but I do want to touch a little bit on last night's game with the Heat. And I want to talk about, uh, of course, the Knicks won as well, I should say. Knicks beat the Cavs. Um, the reason I didn't mention that game it's because I have fucking YouTube TV and I live in New York <laughs> you couldn't watch. and MSG doesn't have a streaming app and the game was on NBA TV, which apparently doesn't qualify as a national TV game. So this motherfucker was blacked out. That's unfortunate. So I could not watch the game. Very, uh, very upset about it. But um, last night, a couple things. Um, overall in the series, I thought it was interesting. Jimmy Butler, all-time player playoff performance. The Milwaukee Bucks kept Drew Holiday on him as much as possible, and I get, I get the strategy there. Drew's a great defender. He's probably going to make first-team All-NBA this year. He's, if you ask any player who's the best defender, I think they just did that poll, right? The player yeah. poll. It's true, right? Um, but no real adjustment from Milwaukee for the series in five games where Butler averaged 37 and some, 37 and change. Uh, he was double teamed a total of seven plays. Four of those came in game four when he had 56 and he was not double teamed at all in game five. Um, didn't like that. Why the fuck was Brooke Lopez not in the game on the lob pass to Jimmy Butler? I will, for the life of me, I will never understand that. Why was there no timeout called with 0.5 seconds? Can't take it. Can't take it with you. Yep. Um, also two timeouts at the end of OT. Also two timeouts at the end of OT. So, some questionable stuff down the stretch for them. Um, a few weeks ago on the Old Man of the Three Things, we talked about the Miami Heat three-point shooting and how they had underperformed relative to their roster, I thought, all season long. 
And at some point in March, they started shooting a little better. Uh, ended up 27th overall for the season, 34.4%. As good as Jimmy was, and he was incredible, they made threes this series. They made threes. Yeah, 45%. And that, that made the difference. As much as it was Jimmy, it was them making threes against the Bucks, And some adjustment stuff from Buds, Giannis being out three games, like, it, there's no asterisk here. Did you see this tweet where somebody was talking about some finals, I can't remember, some championship, and it's just like, dude, there's an asterisk next to every single, you can make an argument for every single season, at yeah. least in at least in the last 20 years, where you're like, oh, well, this happened, which led to this, this guy got hurt, or this specific call went against the team, or this one shot, right? It's just, it's basketball, yeah. it happens. Uh, so Giannis being out, is it a different series of Giannis? Is it? Yes, it is a different series. Give credit to Miami Heat. Fantastic performance. But also, Hero's been out. <laughs> I mean, so the, the two things I wanted to ask about, one was a specific adjustment that the Heat made uh, sort of towards the end of the game last night where they made Bam primary ball handler, which it felt like threw off the Bucks defense a little bit. Um, but then the other thing was just the, the Heat depth and the, the different role players who stepped up. It was Martin in game four and then Gabe Vincent last night. He hit the three when they were down four with uh, eight seconds left. And then even the pass to Jimmy was a great pass. Is that really just a tribute to, you know, these guys have been playing like 11 guys all year and it's been a little questionable at times, but it does feel like they were all ready. I mean, Duncan was ready. Duncan shot really well. They've had all the, all the different, you know, guys who've been called on who maybe have not, you know, played very many minutes all sort of stepped up for them in this series. Yeah, it's just being a pro. I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's just being a pro. and. It can be frustrating as a player when you're a starter, you're you're off the bench, you're in the rotation, you're out of the rotation. It can be frustrating, and it's it's hard to catch a rhythm that way. Um, but the guys were pros; they stepped up. Duncan stepped up. Uh, Gabe Vincent stepped up. The three to cut it to one to cut it to one seventeen, one sixteen. Huge stuff. Bam brought it up uh, six times in the fourth quarter. Uh, the most instances in any game of his career per second spectrums. They ran the offense through him. 13 of his 20 came in the fourth quarter in overtime. Defensively, Bucks were three for 10 against Bam as the primary defender. Giannis was one for seven with Adebayo as the primary defender. He was awesome last night. A big, big part of that game. Uh, Knicks won. Kind of unsurprising. It felt like they had all the men- momentum in that series. Um, so we have this Knicks-Heat matchup on DraftKings right now. The Knicks are the favorites. They're Minus 140 for the series. Heat are at plus 120. Uh, Knicks, who would have thought? Home court advantage yep. in the second round. Knicks are a four and a half point favorite Not at home n- for game one. The 90s are back. Knicks yeah. Heat playoffs. Yeah. It's going to be it's gonna be a great series. Um, Julius hurt his ankle again last night. So we don't really have information on that. They haven't released anything. Don't know the severity of it. Don't know how it, he seemed, you know, he'd missed the last however five or six games of the regular season because of the ankle injury seemed like it had been bothering him as it was. Uh, I think he's got to, I think he's got to be on the court in this series. Uh, one thing to note, if he is playing, uh, we saw this a ton in the Milwaukee Miami series, Jimmy, because of the way that he do their lineups, Jimmy basically guarded Giannis a ton. So that Jimmy Julius Randall, two yeah. two bulldogs, uh, will be fascinating if 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 Julius does end up playing. Um, 
how big will Mitchell Robinson be in this series? Because uh, he just absolutely dominated, dominated Evan Mobley, dominated. Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. Uh, he's going to be huge. Um, the Heat play a ton of zone, and they've been they've literally had. I mean, I, I called games last year in that Sixer series. They run it for quarters at a time, and so I would look for them to play a lot of zone in this series. Uh, Knicks not great shooting team, so that's one thing to watch. That matchup, Julius Jimmy. Another thing to watch, Mitchell Robinson. Um, who guards Jimmy on the other end? It'll probably be R.J. Barrett or Josh Hart for most of the most of the series. Um, do they double Jimmy? Like, can the Miami Heat shooters continue this toward stretch? Yeah, just a fascinating overall series. Um, Knicks Miami. God, I one, did not expect this. <laughs> one stat, one stat from the Knicks game last night that I thought was just sort of representative of the whole series: uh, Cavaliers twenty nine rebounds, Mitchell Robinson and Josh Hart combined twenty nine rebounds. Yeah. So, what do the Heat do to not get destroyed on the boards? Yeah, um, you. It's not just a matter of boxing out. It's it's really about you almost have to double team a guy like Mitchell Robinson, double box out there. Um, the awareness, I think, for Josh Hart, um, because he's such a good offensive rebound re- rebounder, cl- crashing in from the three point line. You have, just have to have awareness. I mean, that, those are the two guys, uh, Hartenstein as well, and they're not going to play Hartenstein and Robinson at the same time. So you, you probably have to, you know, double team. It's a, call it a crackback. That's what we call it. You know, you got to crack back on the big. Um, Second chance points in that series. Knicks 91, Cavs 55. Points off turnovers 111 to 76 in the Knicks' favor. Fast break points 78 to 55. Overall rebounds 227, 186. You're spot on, Tommy. Uh, This series, as much as I talk about those individual matchups, as much as I talk about the Miami Heat's three-point shooting, it's going to come down to the nitty-gritty, grimy details. And... I think both teams can make their mark in this series doing that stuff. It's NBA playoffs time this week. Everyone can score a no sweat same game parlay every day during the NBA playoffs. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app using code JJ, opt in, and place a same game parlay on any NBA game. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back up to $10 only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code JJ. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas. 21 and over in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. All right, before we jump to Trey, let me just say this. You know Trey a little bit. I met him at the live show in New Orleans back in February. Um, it's a great podcast guest. Yep. He, we, Him and I uh, throw some barbs at each other. There's some, uh, I would call it friendly slash unfriendly banter. Um, I texted him afterwards and I was like, dude, I didn't realize you were such an asshole. It's great. It's great. Um, he's a shooter. This is, I feel uh, like all shooters have a low, have an edge to them. I can say this, by the way. I can say this now because he's not here. I'm going to say this. We were going back over 
Tommy and I were going back over uh, his draft class and we we're looking at the teams that passed on him in that sort of 10 to 16 range. And there's just, there's a bunch of teams where you're like, oh my gosh, you could have had Trey Murphy. He would have been a perfect fit. And it's interesting because we touched on the Knicks Cavs series and afterwards we were like, dude, Trey Murphy on both those teams would be like a perfect, yeah. perfect fit. Um, one of the most improved players in the NBA. He's got a super bright future in this league. I don't know what his ceiling is. In some ways, I, I'm like, whatever whatever a star is, like Trey Murphy is going to be a star. I didn't say superstar, but he's going to be a star because he's awesome. All right, let's get to this combo with Trey Murphy. After Trey Murphy, we've got about a 30-minute mailbag. You guys send in some great questions. Always appreciate it. All right, let's go. Yo, one time I came. I I had to. I had the deck. Mm-hmm. I came on the bus with the deck. It was a big hand, like 15k, mm-hmm. still on there. I'm dealer. That's why I had the cards. Mm-hmm. Shuffle them, deal them out. It's like five dudes in the game. I got. I can't even remember. It was like Ace King Jack or Ace King Ten, something like that. Really Spades. Yeah, yeah. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great, and I win the pot. So we're putting our, you know, we're tallying it up, putting every, because, you know, some guys are like, all right, put it, put me in the books. I owe you seven grand. Put me in the books. I owe you three grand. We get to the hotel and Armand, one of the coaches, he stands up and he picks it, whether whether it was a 10 or the jack, whatever I had, he had the opposite. He's like, hey, did y'all lose a card? (laughs) So nobody paid me. I feel like. We all had the same odds, right? That's crazy. Hey, it's still a missed deal, bro. It's not like I got the card. Not like I was hiding the card somewhere. It's still a missed deal. It's still a missed deal. It is. <laughs> we did something like that, though. We went from $5 to $10 on the last 20 minutes. $5 <laughs> to 10 Dude, I played 20 a hand as a rookie. I'm not, so <laughs> I refuse. But I started playing at Virginia, though, and we played $5 hands. And see, that's Y'all when played I, at Virginia? Yeah, that's when I learned. That's when I learned. Ty Jerome taught us how to play. So I just found out from a guy who used to live in my building in Dumbo that they have a, uh, I think, I don't know, it's not weekly, but it's like twice a month Boo-Ray game at Saga over in the, in Fidei. Oh, that's They take the private room down in Saga and they, they play for all night. And I'm, very I'm probably going to be over there in <laughs> the near get future. This is this place, and it's, 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 it's by where we were staying. It's like the best view in New York. Really? It's like a oh, rooftop man. spot, like a rooftop restaurant. God, yeah, that's crazy. so much. Jason, you can keep all of this in. Just no, find the is, time for it. This is the cold this is good stuff right <laughs> here. This is our, this is our, we're starting with this. Anyways, we're here with Trey Murphy. Uh, Trey, I got to get this out of the way. We've only met once. It was when we did our live show. You were nice, nice, nice enough to come. Born in Durham, went to Cary Academy. Shout out to the Chargers. Um, my parents live in Cary, by the way. Oh, nice. uh, what was your dream school growing up in North Carolina? Uh, not Duke. Yeah. <laughs> so I can guess the other one. <laughs> yeah, my my mother graduated from uh, North Carolina, so okay. I didn't have a choice either way. Okay. Even though I did tell her, like, if I was like a number one, two, three player in the country, I'm probably going to Duke. Did either Duke or UNC recruit you? Not out of high school, definitely, and also not out of the transfer portal either. Really? Yeah. That's just shocking to me. It was shocking to me, too. <laughs> so much it shade. Like a, it seems like a so significant miss. 
John Shire, what are we doing here, man? What are we doing? It wasn't him. It's a, I mean, he was on the staff, but. But he was, I mean, he was the recruiting guy. And they were not good that year either. We lost to him at Virginia, but they were not very good that year. Got it. What was your Duke impression growing up? It's, it's a safe space, Trey. It's a safe space. I'm not trying to attack you. Um, but <laughs> JJ was a big part of Duke basketball. Just like looking at them like, ah, like. Just something you just don't like about them. I don't know what it is. Uh, they just carry themselves differently. Um, I definitely think the new guys are carry there. themselves differently. Yeah. What does that mean? Confident. Um, they toe the line. Definitely toe the <laughs> line. line. <laughs> Between confidence and arrogance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, definitely. And <laughs> now growing up, I I like I appreciate it because I feel like there's times where I toe the line, mm-hmm. and you know it's just you know it's all fun and games. I'm gonna be honest with you. You're a Duke guy. When I think of a Duke guy, you're a Duke guy. I know that might hurt you a little bit deep in your soul. Yeah, it gave me some goosebumps. I can't lie. <laughs> you're, you're a Duke guy. You're a Duke guy. Wait, hold on. What year, were, what year were you born? 2000. Okay, so you were only six my senior year. Yeah. So yeah. you don't have any memories of me being an asshole at Duke. No, my parents do. And they would tell me about them. <laughs> <laughs> who were the players? So who were you watching growing up there? Mm, Nolan Smith. Shire, um, Zubek, Zubek, correct? Zubek, yeah, yeah, Zubek. He's, I, I think he's like a straight oh, American, yeah. but Eastern European last name or whatever it is. Yeah, and he's there's like, no ch- in it. No, yeah. and I just remember them. And I, oh man, that Butler game, national championship, back, uh, backboard, front rim goes out. I was mad, very, very angry about that. But you know, Duke has been one of those teams where it's like they've always been good. You know, you just don't like teams that's always good, especially being a Carolina fan. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you chose UVA, you know, to start a new sort of a new sort of thing, right? Um, not necessarily. <laughs> I wanted to get better on defense. So it's <laughs> really what it was. Oh man. Speaking of defense. All right. So you, you came into the draft as what well, I'd heard of you, obviously. And I watched you a little bit UVA. I try not to watch college basketball, but sometimes I'm forced to when Duke plays mm-hmm. and you know, I knew you as a, a shooter. Not a prolific scorer, of course, because Tony Bennett doesn't like to play offense, apparently. Um, <laughs> but, but I have been, and I know it's funny because every I watch a ton of y'all's games. Just I, all the teams I play for, I like watching. And um, Antonio Daniels, like literally every game, uh, like clockwork, every time you drive, every time you get a stop. You see, this is the growth for Trey Murphy. <laughs> This he, he wasn't doing this last year. You know? Every single one. game. That's his favorite I line. love you, Antonio. Um <laughs> But but honestly, I, the the defense, uh, the off the dribble game, and I had no idea you were the athlete that you were. Um, finished seventh in most improved player this year. Um, I did not vote. I had three. You know, I did could vote for the top three. I didn't vote for you. I'm sorry. I gave you some consideration. It's okay. You were on my short list of people that I didn't vote for. It was always next year. <laughs> it was always next year <laughs> for you. What was your sort of gauge of your improvement? What what did you feel like you did better this year beyond just more playing time? You know, really a lot of it was defensively. I could just see what other teams wanted to do a lot better. And all that came, like that just came with experience. Like the more you play, like the more you're going to recognize different stuff. At the end of the day, everybody wants to do the same thing. Like everybody runs the same stuff except for like Golden State and a few other teams. And so I was able to recognize different actions and then off the dribble really it was just getting stronger because at the end of the day I'm not really doing too many fancy moves I'm not crossing over between the legs all that stuff like I'm getting to my spots and you know I'm just 
attacking closeouts because people were closing out really crazy because I was hitting shots. And so then the athleticism piece, I mean, that just had to do with my summer work. And also, I'm kind of new to dunking. So I'm You're not, new to dunking. Yeah. Because well, what year did you grow again? I mean, basically every year. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you were what? When you were a senior in high school, you were? Six. I left around like six five. Okay. But then I, I got to high school at five eight though. So I grew a lot throughout high school and then grew a little bit in college as well. Yeah. I got my first dunk senior year in high school. Really? Yeah. Actually in the half court too. I curled a pin down and went down the lane and dunked it with two hands. That's interesting. Yeah. Now look at you. You're in the dunk contest. Finishing Crazy. second. That was my, you didn't have to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to bring that up. Losing to a G League guy. <laughs> You know what? <laughs> I just gave you love. I just gave you a ton of love. You know, you a see, guy. this is the dude guy. This is the dude guy right here. This, 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 this got started off on the wrong thing because you know we were vibing about the boo ray, and then you just had to throw some shade at Duke. It's unbelievable. I'm man. an honest guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's NBA playoffs time. That means big hoops action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Get in on the excitement of every game with the touch of a button. New customers can make a $5 pregame Moneyline bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. Plus, everyone can score a no-sweat same-game parlay every day during the NBA playoffs. Open the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in, and place the same-game parlay on any NBA game. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back up to $10. Speaking of hits, my bet last night hit my same game parlay uh, with the Grizzlies and the Lakers. That hit. I'm very excited about it. I was on a little bit of a losing streak there. So, You're back. came back. And I will keep my eye on both that series and the Golden State Sacramento series. Whichever team ends up winning both of those series, that second round matchup is very, very compelling. Download the app now and sign up with code JJ. New customers can make a $5 pregame Moneyline bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with code JJ. Burnt your last piece of toast? Avocado's gone bad? Or is the hot sauce bottle empty? The worst. Try grocery delivery from DoorDash. You'll get everything you want delivered when you need it right to your door. You've trusted DoorDash to deliver your restaurant favorites, and now you can get grocery delivery that actually delivers too. With thousands of grocery stores to choose from, you'll find the best in your neighborhood and boost your local economy with each and every order. You'll get exactly what you ordered or we'll make it right. So sit back and enjoy quality groceries just like you picked them yourself. Get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to a $10 value when you use code OLDMAN at checkout. Limited time offer, terms apply. That's 50% off up to $10 on a $15 minimum subtotal and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code OLDMAN. Don't forget, that's code OLDMAN for 50% off your first order with DoorDash. Uh, what can you tell us about draft night? Ooh. Um, my draft night. So first off, I wasn't invited to the green room. Was not very happy about that. Um, I knew throughout the process that I was going to be late lottery, like early 20s. And definitely would have liked to go into the green room. At the end of the day, doesn't really matter. I got to spend it with my family. And um, I was very calm up until about pick 12. And when I tell you, I was nervous wreck. It was crazy. I had my AirPod in. So like whenever my agent would call me, nobody else would know. And uh, I could answer real quick. And the whole time he's texting me like, all right. So 12 was Primo. He's like, San Antonio just picked Primo. 
Uh, he'd tell me, like, all right, it's not looking too good for this team, not looking too good for this team. Then he'd run down the picks, run down the picks. And then when 16 came, that was his other client, Alperin. He also has Alperin. And then he texted me. Well, and then he called me, and I was like, oh, man, I'm about to go to New Orleans. He's like, all right, you're going to New Orleans. Congratulations, man. Way to go. I was like, all right, cool. So I relaxed. And then when I looked up on the TV and Adam Silver said with the 17th pick, Memphis Grizzlies because trade, whatever. Uh, they selected Trey Murphy, like a wave of emotions just like overtook me. And I, I literally just lost it. Like I just laid into my arms and just started crying. Like I didn't think I was going to be in the NBA. If I'm being completely honest with you, like I, I definitely knew it was possible, but you know, actually hearing Adam Silver call my name was pretty special. You know, it's interesting to me and I don't know the reason behind this. And I'm curious because, um, you just admitted to crying and the cameras weren't on you. I feel like crying at the draft is a new thing. And I feel like your generation of player is more comfortable doing No, I, I mean this in a good okay, way. This okay. is not a knock. Okay. Okay, okay. 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 I, I, I lay my emotions on my, you know, I wear my emotions on my sleeve on the show. I talk about my therapy all the time. It's part, it's part of the show, man. All right. All right just make sure I'm part of the show. <laughs> okay. And I'm, 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 I'm curious about just your generation, like just feeling comfortable enough to do that. It feels like a new thing. I've watched drafts for 25, 30 years, and it's just more common now. In all honesty, though, I didn't think I was going to. Like, I really, like, I didn't plan on it. It wasn't something where it's just like, all right, yeah, this is a moment. Like, I'm probably going to cry. Like, it's, it's just crazy. But, like, literally just when I heard my name, like, I just went to a different state. Like, I couldn't even control it. It was one of those things. Like, like at the end of the day, though, like, I wasn't boohooing, like, Cole Anthony, one of my friends, but um, <laughs> wasn't it's not crying, but you know I was in my arms, you know, to myself, like looked up for a second, like to hug my parents and all that, and uh, you could definitely see a few tears streaming, but it wasn't like funeral cry or anything like right. that. It was just like, man, this is sad. Like this is great, actually. Now that I think about it, 2019 draft, and I think Cole was 2020, right? Yes, he was 2020. 2020, because he was Tyrese's draft. 2019 draft is the first draft that I ever remember. And that was, and that was the year that, um, they had all, they had the parents as part of the interview Yeah, and they would ask the kids, what do you want to say to your dad? What do you want to say to your mom? What do you want to say to your parents? And like, I can't imagine in that moment having to actually earnestly answer that question. Because I, it is an emo. It, it's a wave of emotions. Yeah, getting drafted. It's a wave. Absolutely. You know, part of you is like overwhelmed, just like oh, everything's happening. Part of you is so happy. Part of you, um, unless you're the number one pick, is angry because <laughs> you're like, "Fuck, I can't believe they drafted Sire Sene ahead of me." Like the competitive <laughs> side of you is like, yeah. it is this sort of wave of emotions, and like the tears come out, man. It's great. I love it. I love it. It is kind of weird. There, there really are not any other sort of comps for like a life-changing positive moment that's on camera like that. Like if you sign like a record, I mean, yeah, there's like behind the scenes stuff and things like that, but there's not any other industry where that would happen where it's like, oh, your life has just changed. Like financially, literally, you, know, you, you realize your dreams, everything has happened in this like last 35 seconds. I'm surprised you didn't pick up on this because you love to comp the Oscars and the Emmys, but that's the only thing that I can really think of where it's not necessarily a financial thing, but for a lot of people, 
who have gotten nominated multiple times for an Oscar and they finally win. And it's a, it's basically a lifetime achievement thing. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine being in the industry and grinding it out for 20 years and not getting good roles. And all of a sudden, like a writer writes a role for you, you win an Oscar. That's the only comp really. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's all right. Um, Going back to the improvement thing. I thought this was interesting. There was this uh, Yahoo article. uh, It was actually a a fantasy, a fantasy thing, but I don't live in that world. But the the headline was, is Trey Murphy the next Mikkel Bridges? And I actually thought that was really interesting. What do you think Mikkel has developed in the last, you know, five years, obviously in the league, but just really in the last six, four to six months that you would like to add to your game? Sidebar, I saw that tweet and saw the picture was Herb, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I, it was on a Google list for me, so and I, I didn't notice the picture. Hey, I saw that picture. I said, great. This is, this is fantastic. Picture her talking about me. All right, fantastic. Um, Sorry, I had to mention that because I literally <laughs> just great. screenshotted it and I sent it to Herb. Yeah. Man, that's hilarious. But, um, no, Mikel, he's, I mean, I saw it up close and personal uh, when we played against Phoenix in that home at home. The second game book was out, and Mikel was their primary uh, scorer at the time. And you could just tell, like, when he's aggressive and he has, like, the reins to do what he wants, like, he can get to his spots, he shoots his middies. And, you know, I'm not going to say, like, I expected to see it in Brooklyn, but I'm not, like, super, you know, surprised to see that, you know, he's the number one guy. He's able to get to his spots and shoot over people. I mean, the way he shoots the ball, he uh, just elevates over people, and he shoots, has a really high release and gets to his spots. It's definitely something that I look at, and I'm like, all right, I can add that to my game. But also the attacking closeouts. Like, he, when he was in Phoenix, he was attacking closeouts at a really high level and finishing with a lot of athleticism. So that's definitely something that you know I look at. Uh, I wouldn't tell him that, you know, just being the person I am. I'm kind of a <laughs> hater. And so uh, he, he jumps on his jump shot, though. I jump on the mid-range shots. Not, not I've always point. been fascinated with this. I, I kill Tyrese on this all the time, and he doesn't yeah. shoot a lot of mid-range shots. No, and I, but I he either, shoots yeah. a jumper on his mid-range. Jimmy Butler, I've always wanted to ask Jimmy about. It, I haven't. Jimmy, if you watched last night, and we'll get to the Miami Heat game last night in a second when Jimmy had fifty-six. Insane. There were multiple threes that he shot flat-footed, and there were multiple threes that he elevated for. So I don't understand how you can do that. So Explain different. it to me. Why? What's the reasoning behind jumping on your middies and shooting, shooting more of a set shot on the three? So for me, I shoot more of a, like pu- not push, but like it's a lower release from three. And with that, I'm shooting from farther. And when you're jumping really high and shooting a lower release and shooting from far, the mechanics are just off. And like the rhythm and the cadence is just off for me. And so you'll see a lot of people that shoot from deep, like Steph, Tyrese, like they don't they don't jump that high because you don't you don't want to mess that up. Like you're mainly using you're using your legs, but you're using a lot of arms as well. And then when you get in that mid range area, like you'll watch Book, he's a perfect example of this. He doesn't jump like a ton on his threes, but when he gets to the middies, he's jumping, elevating his shot pocket is like well his release is really high. And you know, I look at a lot of different guys and I analyze like, all right, when you're getting to that mid range area, there's a lot of people down there. There's a lot of hands, a lot of contests. You can't shoot a, a low release shot unless you're fading. And I'm not there yet. So I need to get up a little bit higher and shoot like a higher jump shot. 
Is that part of the reason the the low release point? Is that part of the reason that you put so much arc on your shot? Definitely, yeah, yeah definitely. Because I try to get under it for sure, yeah. and also that's just how I was taught. Just to get under it, get a lot of arc on it, because if you shoot a line drive, you're just not giving it much of a chance to go in. I mean, unless you're JJ shooting a missile or Kyle Corver. Y'all two shoot missiles. I, I, I had a little arc on it. I wasn't Ray Allen. Not a lot. Ray Allen shot a line drive. Ray, Ray and Ray. Kyle, they shoot missiles just right yeah. at the rim and just go straight in. I'm it's like, funny because I, I would adjust my shot pocket throughout the course of my career. Like, I think if you look at me at Duke, it was closer to my forehead um if you look at later on it was off to the side and then towards the end of my career it was actually like higher up now part of it is because i had a messed up shoulder so when i shot it like this my clavicle would do this and i'd i'd miss so i had to shoot it a little higher you know what i mean um so i was like constantly adjusting that but i it's just it's funny to me because i i when I would practice and we all as shooters, you know, you're more than a shooter, by the way, I don't want to, that I wasn't a dig. No, no, no. I, I can shoot the ball well. Though. I appreciate it. <laughs> I consider you a shooter, a player, but a great shooter. Um, but as shooters, like we practice so much um, in a game, I wouldn't have like the sort of uh, cognizance and like the thing to be like, all right, I'm going to shoot a set shot here. I'm going to shoot a jumper here. To me, it was like just that rhythm. But I guess if you're practicing one way over and over, it does become natural. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not really a conversation I'm having where I'm like, <laughs> all right, I'm right here. Let me get, let me shoot up a little higher. It's really just natural, like second nature. But, you know, I look at so many guys shooting the ball. Like, I'll watch B.I. shoot, I'll, Brandon Ingram, and I watch C.J. Like, I watch a bunch of different guys and just see what little things they do because at the end of the day, shooting isn't like just one specific thing that you can do. Like, Fred Vincent, he's one of our shooting coaches, good shooting coach. And, we talk about it a lot because it's like there's not one set way to shoot. Like if you look at Clay, the way that he shoots, it's very different stuff. Well, are you going to try to tell Clay to shoot like stuff? No, you're gonna you're gonna live with what they do. There's obviously some very fundamental things that you have to do, but at the end of the day, it's person by person base. Who do you yeah. think is the prettiest shot? And not not one person, but like who do you like watch shooting in the league right now? Uh, definitely book. Book is one of them. Um, Maxi's jump shot is actually really nice. I like looking at his jumper. Loki, it is. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Just didn't want to give a regular answer. Yeah, didn't we'll want to give a regular key. answer. Yeah. Like, yeah. Else, Let me ask you something. If you do this, because I'm actually fascinated by this, that you pay so close attention to how people shoot. Because mm-hmm. I do the same thing, and I've yeah. done it my whole life. And I, I would tell people, like when I played, teammates would shoot a free throw, and I would just watch their release. And because I'd been around them enough and seen them shoot enough, I knew whether they were going to make or miss it. And now I was telling my uh, my eight year old last night when we were watching the uh, the Heat Bucks game. I like naturally do this thing. I only watch the release and then I'll watch the initial arc of the ball. And I'm like 95%. I'm like, I know if it's a make or miss, even when I'm watching on television, I can just tell. And it's not because I'm like, Oh, that guy shot it wrong. It's like, Oh, that guy shot it wrong or right for him yeah. for, because I've watched so much of how they shoot. Um, do you, do you do that? Definitely. Is that what you're talking about when you watch how guys shoot is just like that sort of time capsule of the shot right a lot of his cadence like some guys when they're open they take their sweet time and it's like no shoot it the same way yeah. like if you don't shoot it the same way it's just gonna be off like i i have troubles with that sometimes where i'll be wild open. i'm like all right let me check the laces you know get the spin right and i'm thinking too much but it's just like if you just catch it just shoot it right away then you're in your rhythm and 
So, you know, I'll watch B.I. shoot, and he has a different cadence on his three-point shots than he does on his mid-range shots. Like, you'll notice on his mid-range shots, it's almost perfect. Like, he's literally going straight up, straight down, all that. There's With his three-point shots, he's like, you can tell he's definitely working on it and, like, trying to get a lot of power into it. And remember, he told me, like, he didn't even shoot threes like that in his rookie year. And, like, right now he's trying to add more and more volume into his three-point shot. You can tell just, like, how much better he's getting at it. Yeah, he does jump forward. Yeah. He does jump forward, yeah, which yeah. helps draw fouls. Absolutely. I know. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Oh, man. Like, James Harden, I remember first time guarding him. And uh, I think it was at home. I remember jumping and contesting straight on. Eh, coming yeah. back. Foul on a three-point shooter. So There's a reason that all the guys – uh, well, Steph, I don't think really does it as much, but I know Jamal did. I did. James did. All time leaders in four point plays. Like yeah. we all jump jump forward, except for Steph, pretty much. Yeah, and you sell it a little bit too, huh? You sell it a little bit too, huh? <laughs> sell it a little bit too. <laughs> so, what do you when you're defending that? If you're defending James right now, what do you do? You literally have to stay on the side of him. Yeah, like when he shoots, you cannot contest forward. You have to stay on the side because even if you are like not. Touching him, you're gonna be close enough. They're gonna call foul. James is smart too. Jamal was the same way. Where when I was not like a dribble package, pull up three guy, right? I was a one or two dribble off, like a dribble handoff or a pick and roll. When I shot off the dribble, those guys are ISO, right? They're so good when they like feel you head on in their airspace, they'll just jump and shoot. Yeah, Jamal would get a foul a game just doing that. Now they didn't always call it. You know, because yeah, and then it doesn't look too great, especially because <laughs> yeah, he's exactly. just launching it at the backboard. But uh, when they do get it, though, it's like ah, yeah. Now you got to worry about guarding him. Um, I want to ask you about this season? Obviously, growth for you personally. I would assume very uh, a disappointment for the Pelicans, uh, given how you guys finished the season last year, uh, and g- given how you started the season. First place at one point in time, about a quarter of the way through the season. Actually, a little over a quarter way through the season. Um, a 12-game losing streak. 10. It was 10? Yes, it was 10. We don't... Oh, maybe. Tommy tried to add it, add another well, game saying, on there, too. I was He's... saying when we were going down for the live show, we were like two games Oh, yeah, that's what it was. That's Having to do the live show yeah, that's 15 right. games. You guys yeah, won was, a couple games. That's right. Like, yeah, that's, you, that's, it's, it's been ingrained in my brain. He was <laughs> like, yeah, you're on 11 games. Hold up, bro. It was 10. <laughs> it was 10. <laughs> it was 10. Uh, looked like you, at one point, would sort of be out of the play-in, and then B.I., Caught a burner, you caught a burner. Like you guys played really good basketball down the stretch, uh, and then a disappointing loss, obviously, in the play-in. Um, just kind of take us through the season, the range of emotions, the ups and downs, what you learned through all of that about an NBA season. Yeah, I definitely think this was the most informative season that I've had. Um, just take it back to the first game we played Brooklyn on their court and won pretty handedly against a full strength KD Kyrie. Ben Simmons, like all those guys. Now they were definitely dealing with some stuff at the time, so they weren't the same team that they were in December, January. But I was looking at our team like we have a really good shot of being a top four team in the West. And you know, we got to December, and when I tell you that was the most fun I had playing basketball, it was like Zion was playing at the MVP level. He was he was kicking out, and I had so much space. Like goodness gracious. When playing with him is like you have so much time to just think. Like you try not to, you know, lace lace the ball up and all that stuff. Like I said before, but um, whole lot of fun. And then you know, January came and that's when he got hurt. You know, roles changed a little bit. Guys had to step up a little bit more. And we definitely still 
we definitely still kept, you know, a little bit of a, a streak going, a little bit of, you know, try to keep some more wins going. And then we hit a really rough patch um, towards like the middle of January. And that's when we started that 10 game skid. And during that time, it's just like a cloud is over you. You know, you're going into these games like, all right, we got to figure this one out. Like games keep building. It's like five games, and six games. You go into that eighth game, like, come on, like, not nine. Ninth <laughs> game, you're like, please, it's not double digits. And you lose, and you're like, man, this is, like, insane. And it'd be games, like, we're right there. Like, I remember vividly, we're playing in Orlando. Third quarter, we're hooping. Like, Jose gets a steal. He kicks up to me. I get a dunk. We get an and one, hit a three. I'm like, all right, we're hooping right now. I look up at the score. When I come out with two minutes left, we're up by four points. I'm like, this isn't good. Just based off the flow of the game, it, we should have been up 15 or up four points. And so then they're on their home court. They start hitting threes. We end up losing that game. And so it's just like stuff like that. You're just like you start to realize how the NBA works and like flow the game. And, um, you know, our season picked back up after that uh, Lakers win after the 10-game losing streak. And we just, just found our groove. We started playing with a lot more pace and just understanding there's a lot of urgency that we have to play with. Yeah. Um, I want to get, get to some playoff stuff because I know you're watching. Um, before we get to sort of your favorite series so far, I want to ask you about Memphis. They lost last night. They're down 3-1 to the Lakers uh, in a game they, they could have won. They've also had this really strange season. Um, ended up with a two seed. I thought Taylor Jenkins... Uh, had one of the best coaching jobs this season. Um, I, f- I feel like they're like, they have become something to NBA fans. They've become something to NBA media, whether that's the villains or annoying. I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't know how to describe it. Um, it's not coming from me, Trey. It's coming from other people. Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, and then I feel like whenever they play you guys, like there's always just something, you know, there's always just something in those games. I was really hoping we could see a Memphis, New Orleans. And it looked like in January, I'm like, shit, this could be the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, know. You know, I really felt that. Um, from your perspective as a player, I'm curious about the sort of interpersonal stuff, but also just the image of that team within the NBA amongst the players. No, we definitely feel that. As a rivalry, like their up and coming team, they're a little bit ahead of schedule than we are because, you know, the guys are a little bit older and we see them as one of the teams that, you know, they're number two in the West. We want to be in that in that spot. And so whenever we play them, it's always a very, you know, high intensity game. And for some reason, whenever we play them there, they're like the 2015 Warriors because they don't miss <laughs> every single time we play them in Memphis. They do not miss. And it's like, well, why, like, I'll watch games and like they're playing some other team. And it's just like, all right, see, y'all decide to miss me. I'm playing against them, but I see y'all get up for us. Like, respect. We got it. But um, we definitely get them back at home. So, you know, it's definitely one of those times where it's one of those series where it's not lopsided at all. I don't, I wouldn't say it's lopsided. We definitely get the best of them at our crib. We just got to find out how to do it to theirs as well. Yeah. I have a question for both of you about Dylan Brooks. Mm-hmm. Um, you think it's odd at all that, when they hit a rough patch, he decides to not comment. And the reason why I ask this is, uh, you know, Pat Bev, who's been on our show a bunch, who's sort of like a friend of the show. Pat Bev says a lot of stuff. He's an irritant, but he always owns up to it. 
You know what I mean? He kind of like, he, he says whatever he wants to say and he doesn't hide from saying, it. and it does feel a little strange to me that especially after game two, that, you know, when, when things have turned a little bit for them, he's somewhere, he's, he's like nowhere to be seen. Hmm. You really put Trey in a compromising situation here. It is what it is. You told me that you are an honest person and you speak the truth. That's all I do. <laughs> That's all I know how to do. Um, you know, once you pick that role and you want to be that guy where you're going to be the agitator, you have to live with, you know, not winning every matchup. It just is what it is. Like you're playing in the NBA. You're going to play against the best players. Like you're not going to win every matchup. Now you just have to be the person to own up to that and be like, you know what? He got the best of me. You might not have to say that word for word, but you know, when you're going to poke a bear and the bear roars, you have to deal with the, <laughs> you have to deal with it. Like that's, this is what it is. And so, you know, I, hopefully, you know, they'll be able to comment more on you know, what's happening in the series because aren't those fines, if I'm not mistaken, when you skip out on those media availabilities? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. No, nah, I, I'm, I'm going to just have to deal with that. If yeah, I'm, you're the one playing $5 Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. I'm watching my money. I'm very careful, so, man. You're going to, you're going to go in front of the cameras. <laughs> Uh, a couple things here. So in my sort of new life, I see how these things become a story and then they become a bigger story. When you do what he has done the last two games, now all of a sudden it's a bigger story. Uh, what Julius Randle did the other day where they win a game and he's not in the closing lineup and he bounces on, especially here in New York, when he bounces on that, it's just not a good look. It becomes part of the story. Hey, whether you believe this or not, hey, proud of that group that finished the game. You know, I'm glad we got the win. I'll be ready for game five. I got to be better. Boom. There's no story now. Dylan Brooks, hey, you got the best of me. There's no story now. So that's, that's surprising. On the Dylan Brooks specifically, I love agitators. I do. I love Pat Bev. I love Marcus Smart. People can agitate in different ways. Jose is an agitator. Oh, I think sure. I think Alex Caruso is an agitator in a different way. Different way. Um, they're valuable. TJ McConnell. There's a guy. They're valuable to teams. So I think Dylan Brooks has value. For sure, I really believe that. And I he's a guy that if you can figure out the offensive piece, where it doesn't hurt your team, it doesn't have to be like a super positive, but. I feel like right now the offensive piece is actually hurting the team. I want him on my team. I do. I want a guy like Dylan Brooks. I want an agitator on my team. You need him on your team. So I, 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 to me, this is not like a personal thing about Dylan. I just don't like when guys don't go in front of the cameras and don't own it. Just own it. Absolutely. It's, we, we all at some point are going to have to own it. And now you're creating a bigger story. In all honesty, too, I must say, like, I appreciate him. Uh, the way he plays. Yeah. Because I remember our Memphis game, when we played them at home, I wasn't sleepwalking, but like I wasn't playing well at all. And then he got into his, he gets an and one, starts flexing, starts yelling. And then that's when it turns that flip for me. We're like, all right, now we're playing. He like, poked the cub. Yeah, cub. I'll take cub. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a bear yet, but you're not LeBron. <laughs> no, I'm not LeBron, but no, but then that, that turned me up and you know, I was, appreciative of it plus at the end of the day it's competing yes. like that's yes. what it's all about like there's guys that take like the trash talk and all this stuff to like all right this is personal now like hate this person like no this is basketball at the end of the day like we're talking in between the lines and stuff like that because we're trying to compete we're trying to win 
Now, if you want to make it personal, then that's on you. But I just look at it as part of the game. Here's what I would ask to you, to you as a fan, to you as a player and a fan of the game, to all the fans out there that complain uh, about guys like him or complain like last year when Mad Dog said, I wish Draymond would just shut up and play, right? Don't you want competition? Don't you want to be entertained? To me, like, let's take the dirty plays out of it. And Dylan Brooks is not the only player that makes dirty plays. He's had a couple dirty plays in his career, okay? The play on Peyton last year was a dirty play, all right? But don't you want to be entertained? Doesn't it make it more interesting? So much more interesting. Like, first of all, why are you in the NBA if you don't want to compete? Like, this is why you're here. You compete at a high level. Like, your draft workouts, a lot of guys, you're going against other guys. That's how you get better. That's how you show them. This is what you deserve. Like in my workouts, I didn't have one single one-on-one. And I did 14 workouts because I wanted to show people I can compete. I can defend. And I'm going to go against this other guy. I'm going to be better than them. Yeah. It's just as simple as that. This is, this is what I love about Draymond. And I, I, I personally didn't have an issue with him going at the crowd, even though that, that definitely added to the, his punishment. But I, what I, love I didn't about, have an issue either. What I love about Draymond is he... He faces the cameras. He literally has a podcast that he goes on and talks <laughs> about faces, that, he, yeah. that, that he talks about this stuff afterwards. And it, I'll, I mean, I, I'm not in the locker room. I don't know what the sort of conversations are in terms of teammates and everything like that. But he he was a clear motivation motivating force when he got back. He obviously played great, but there was a thing where it was like he was going to use that energy to rally the team. I think some of the stuff I'm I, I completely agree with you that it's good for the game. The storylines are good for the game. I just, I guess, I'm disappointed in Dylan Brooks because I, th- I think to your point, if he had just owned it, it would have been fine. He's just a character in the series, and now it's just kind of lame. And it's like, dude, we don't really want to hear from you anymore. If you're, if you're not going to do it when the going gets tough, then it just becomes annoying and like a little bit of a sideshow. Right. Yeah. Right. Actually, I just thought about it too. There was one point where they were asking him a question every other minute, and I remember they had a quote from him like on Twitter all the time. I was like, dang, like this media availability, like during practice and like when you get out the shower, like they're asking him all these questions. Like all I see was Dylan Brooks quotes, like yeah. everywhere, and, then, and dressing up on the bench and stuff. He's doing, a, he's doing a lot, which is cool. But it's like you, you got to face it. Which Absolutely. just brings me to a random mini rant here. Mini rant. I hate, I hate when there's a quote that breaks out on social media, and like Dame, this happened with Dame a bunch, where he's talking about why he's staying and like it was every other week there'd be a quote about it right and like the comments under it would always be something along why is Dame? why why does dame keep talking about this and it's like because we get fucking asked about it we have to be in front of the we contractually with our cba have to be in front of the media damn near every day we get asked about it so that's why we talk about it these same questions yeah like you understand how many times I get asked, how much do you love playing with Zion? I love Zion. That's my guy. <laughs> Why do you have to ask me this every yeah. other time? <laughs> like, How much do you love playing with Zion? I had a lot of fun in December. I told you that. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. I'm telling you. What was your What was your first LeBron playing against LeBron experience like? I'm trying to think about this because I didn't play. There was a lot of DMPs my first year. So I'm trying to remember for sure if my first game against them was a DMP. My first game against them was a DMP in L.A. <laughs> So the next time I played against them was the time where they were trying to make that playoff push, plan push my rookie year. And uh, we were down by 20 at, at half. And I came in, and I think I scored like 18 in the third quarter. I remember that game. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the games where I actually 
started to feel comfortable and like, all right, I belong here because I definitely came along a lot later in my rookie year. And, you know, it was a pretty great, it was a pretty cool experience going against LeBron and, you know, almost putting them out of their, you know, playing, not exactly, but pushing them, setting them back a little bit. And mainly because I was a Kobe guy growing up. So that's, that's one other reason. And you couldn't, it's, you're, you're, it's, I feel like that you live in a very black and white world. Yes. You do. <laughs> yeah. You no do. Great, Maybe no it's because of the way you were raised with this Duke UNC thing. It's okay to like both. No. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely. Learn to love the gray. All I right. Could, I couldn't live in my house if I like Duke. <laughs> so no, but no, it was really cool. And then, um, you know, after the game, it was my mom's birthday and my mom loves LeBron. And, you know, I asked him, I was like, can you take a picture of my mom? It's her birthday. And he was very nice to take a picture with her for her birthday. And I was very appreciative of that because I understand, like, after a loss, a lot of guys are, you know, not very good people, which I'm not either. But, like, yeah, it's for my mom. So I was appreciative of that. I love that. Um, playoffs this year. Do you have a particular series that you've been most entertained by, intrigued by, focused on? Uh, definitely sack and Golden State. You know, those two teams have extremely potent offenses. Like I was watching that first game and the shot making in that game was so insane. Like I'm literally watching like, wow, like I'm in, like in amazement, like De'Aaron Fox was cooking. Like that was his playoff debut, 38. Steph had 36 or something like that. And Clay was in big shots down the stretch. Like everybody was really playing at a high level. And, you know, that was one of those really fun games to watch. Malik Monk came on and was really hooping too. It was just a really high scoring game. And then you look at the flip side of it. I like looking at the Cavs and Knicks series, which is a very slow pace, low scoring game, but they're just bruising. Like it's really like like tough basketball they're playing over there. And, you know, I was actually at the game on Sunday, uh, the Knicks game. You know, supporting Josh Hart. It's my guy. And it was it was rocking in, in the garden. And, you know, it was really a lot of energy in there. Yeah, two different brand, brands of basketball in those two series. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're putting this out after game five. The thing that is, uh, I think, stood out, the, the, the thing that stands out to me, I should say, about the two series and the differences is legitimately uh, shooting and spacing. Yeah, absolutely. It, that's why the Knicks and Cavs have to play this way. Absolutely. And that's why the Kings and Warriors can play this way is because there is spacing and there is shooting. Um, I have equally enjoyed them both. Uh, although I will say, I don't think even when the Knicks have played well or the, I don't think it's been a pretty series at all. And I, I generally like uh, open pretty basketball. Um, but uh the thing for for me with the Knicks that gets really interesting is if it ends up being Miami in the second round, where all of a sudden you're talking about be some hard playing basketball. <laughs> yes, right there. yes, it's like that's that's like to me it's the Cleveland series doubled down, yeah, and absolutely. then one of those teams ends up in could potentially end up in the in the conference finals. I don't want to count uh, Giannis and the Bucks out at all. I should say that by no. the way. Um, have you watched the the Suns Clippers series? Because that's the one to me that's been interesting because of the way Book has played mm-hmm. and the way Kevin has played. Where Kevin at times is fine being one A and fine being one B, and it has just allowed Devin 
just complete freedom. And for someone that has guarded those guys, played against those guys, um, did you play against Phoenix, by the way? Which Phoenix with, with, team? Yeah, with, with the two of them? No. You, so you hadn't played. I, I'm just curious, like, how do you sort of game plan for that? What is the game plan there for those two guys when they're on the court together? Uh, really, like, what are you even really supposed to say? Like, if you double them off the screen, all right, short roll DA who hits mid-ranges like their layups, or he's kicking out to book. You have to choose between book and CP. It's like, at the end of the day, like, CP is still knocking those down. It's tough. Like, at the end of the day, like, you want to put Herb on whoever their primary is, and then the guys on the back, you just got to zone up and just figure it out. And you just got to pick who you want to beat you. I think that's really what it is. Like, I think teams are trying to make it seem like, you know, we're just going to make Torrey Craig beat us. And it's just not that easy when you have two prolific scores that are very aggressive, like going at you on the court. And uh, Chris Paul, I think he's actually like taking a little bit of a backseat to like playmaking as much. Like Katie's had the ball a lot in his hands, like with picking roles, trying to find different guys because of how effective he is in pull-ups and drop coverages and stuff like that. So it's tough. It's definitely a tough cover. And a lot of your game plan has to be on the other end, trying to get those guys in foul trouble. Uh, I think that's a big thing, making those guys guard. If they are worrying about fouls, they're not as effective because they won't be on the court. Yeah, that's a great point. I was sorry, I was looking up on my phone. I wanted to make sure I got this this stat right. Uh, Phoenix is averaging fourteen point three made two point jumpers a game in the series, which goes against everything that is the modern NBA. And to me, that's a big reason that they are hard to game plan for because of the way you just described the after effects of blitzing any pick and rolls with Aiton. Um, so if you choose to play them and drop coverage, uh, which they've done a ton with Zubak, um, they, they, it ends up just playing into their strengths and <clears throat> they haven't necessarily generated a ton of open looks from three, but because those guys are so prolific and so efficient, it shows you the value. Jalen Brunson, another example, is Knicks have not shot the ball well in this series. But when you have guys that can score off the bounce from two, it just shows you the value of self-shot creation from the mid-range in the playoffs. And it, 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 that's not how teams play. That's not how teams necessarily draft players now. It's not how teams develop players now. Like, is is Willie telling you like, hey, drive or shoot a three? And if you get to the mid range, you don't have a drive, kick it. Cause I had coaches that told me that towards the end of my career. I mean, I just had my ex interview. So he uh, told me exactly what he wants me to do. He wants me to work on getting to the rim, finishing and shooting threes. That's just the way they want us to play. And that's the most efficient way to play. And at the end of the day, teams are giving up twos, but if you're giving them up to Katie and, and Devin Booker, it's like, that's tough. Like they're going to make those, they're going to make you pay for them. With, the, with this sack, Golden State, we're talking about this other night with sack in particular, how fast they play, and just how you how you approach that defensively, just knowing that these guys, it's going to be a track meet and they're going to wear you down. What do you, do you think Golden State has done anything well? Because offensively, they actually are not at the same pace that they were in the regular season where they were setting all these records. Um, what do you do to prep for, I guess, both those offenses? Because they both move at a, at a certain speed. Those games, like going into them, 
you are in a different headspace because you understand everybody on the court is a, is a threat and you're prepared for like, all right, we're going to have to talk. We're going to have to communicate because if we don't switch correctly, they're going to get layups or they're going to get threes. And so I feel like the, what, what helps first of all, is that Mike Brown is from the coaching tree of Steve, well from Steve Kerr. And it's, and it's like they know they both know exactly what they're trying to do, and they're very similar brands of basketball. They guard each other like basically you're guarding sack in practice the whole year because that's the way that they play, and they're used to that. And a lot of what a lot of what they're doing is just taking them out of their actions by switching everything. If you switch everything, it's a lot easier to take them out of action. And another thing they're doing that hasn't been working phenomenal, but it's what you'll have to live with is just you know making De'Aaron hit mid range shots and. He's been doing a great job of that, getting to the cup, but that's just the way you take away the three-point attempts. I don't know what the updated numbers are, but I know, I believe it was for, through the first uh, two games or something of the series, he was four for 20 uh, on jumpers in the first three quarters and seven for 11 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Obviously, clutch player of the year, all that stuff. Um, to me, you have to give Fox a lot of credit because... They came into the series with a game plan and he said, okay, I'm going to beat your game plan by doing the thing that you want me to do. Yeah. And he's made jumpers when it mattered. Um, shit, nearly won game four, you know, with, with the three pointer to cut it to one and then obviously kicked it to Barnes for the three. Um, the other one I wanted to ask you about from guarding sort of old heads, you know, the LeBrons of the world, um, guarding guys like Jimmy who, Maybe he's a little younger than Braun to guarding, you know, Book and and uh, Tatum and those guys that are they're even younger. What is Anthony Edwards' ceiling? Because to me, I f- I called his game Friday night. I feel like partially because I think he can he is already a good defender. I think he can be a great defender, a phenomenal two way player along the lines of Kevin Durant or Giannis or you know I think Tatum's a, an elite two way player. Yeah. Um, I think he's. You know, potentially a guy we talk about as being a top five player. And to be a top five player, you essentially have to be good enough to be the guy on a championship team. I think he's potentially that good. I literally said top five player in my head. So that's what I see him as. And it's funny you mentioned that. And I'm going to bring up my welcome to the NBA moment. And <laughs> sadly, it's from a guy that's younger than me, which is crazy. But uh, we're playing Minnesota there. This is probably game two of my rookie year. And Anthony Edwards, this is third quarter. They're on a little bit of a run. And Anthony Edwards is coming full speed down the right side of the court. And I'm telling my teammate to cut him. So you mean when you cut him off in transition, it makes him change direction so I can go time it up for a block. When he tried to cut him, he hit him with an in and out, and he fell for it. And so when he fell for the in and out, he got a loading step like, and I'm just down there waiting for Anthony Edwards. And I was like, all right, I'm going to time this up. I'm, a, I'm actually going to try to go get this. The power that he went back on the Tomahawk was so strong. I said, I'm not getting that. So I bailed out in the air in the middle of That's the decision. Yeah, yeah, I bailed out because if I foul him and he still dunks it and they're on a run like this, it's, it's just not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was just like, let me just get out the way. And that was probably one of my welcome to the One of my favorite things about this podcast is that it is an audio 
podcast, obviously, but we also are a video podcast on you don't, YouTube. So you don't have to do that. There will be a nice video overlay. We're going to get it clipped up. That's going to be the thing from this thing that everybody will see. And you know what's crazy? Like, you can't embarrass me. I feel like I'm one of those guys where it's like, it happened. At the end of the day, you got to own up to it. Like we talked yeah. about before. Yeah. I appreciate guys that are willing to challenge players at the rim. And a lot of times it is uh, fives. It is, you know, a guy like Embiid or Jared Allen, you know, challenges everybody. Giannis got dunked on again last night by Jimmy Butler. Yeah. He kind of blocked the shot into the rim, to be honest Jimmy's with you. Jimmy's mad strong. Yeah. He's <laughs> mad You're strong. not getting this ball from me. No. But I just, I, it's weird because a lot of the guy, the guys that try to block shots at the rim are the guys that are nev- inevitably going to get dunked on the most. No, for sure. Like, I got dunked on in Portland by Eubanks. And literally three plays down, I dunked on him after that. It's just basketball. It happens. Do you, do you have a favorite body you've caught? Hmm. <clears throat> Do you have one, JJ? Of yours? No, yours. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. Um, Is it going to take you this long? <laughs> nope, I got it. January, I got to get the age right, guy. January uh, 2001. Uh, it was, I believe it was January 3rd, okay. playing Franklin County at Franklin County Rival High School. Okay. Um, had to take it back. <laughs> And, 2001, uh, you were one. Years it was my. Uh, it was not yet. Actually, well, yeah, I was one going on two. Yeah, it young. was my. It was my flu game. My mom found some old sausage in the fridge and uh, cooked me up some sausage before I went to bed. And I, I got food poisoning, and so I spent all day in bed. I had to be at school at like one fifteen to play or something. So I showed up one fourteen. Didn't eat anything all day. Had a ginger ale right before the game, and I went and dropped forty one. But in the first half. Uh, got a little outlet pass, threw it to my guy, Brian Hamilton. He threw me a lob and I caught the lob on a guy's head, dunked it and won and hung on the rim. And uh, that's one of two bodies I've ever caught. <laughs> Are they going to show the video on that, of that one? On, you can on find us? it on YouTube, believe it or not. Put it on here. You can find it on YouTube. <laughs> you got to put it on here. Like you got to watch video. The, full, the full video. It's like an hour and 27 minute game, but it's, you, you it's there clip. in the second quarter. You can clip it just like you're you going to clip my video. Go ahead, clip yours. I needed time to think about mine, but um, probably Zach Collins in uh, my rookie year. I went down the lane. They were in a 2-3 zone. Pump fake, Jeff step right, went down the lane, dribble left hand. And the play before that, they ran a play for me, and I curled to the rim, and I tried to, like, reverse layup. It hit the bottom of the rim. I fell down. Real embarrassing play. So I was really mad about that. And so then when I went to the rim the next time, I was like, I'm going to make sure I dunk it. And chest-to-chest, like, body-to-body contact, it was a really good one. I have a playoff <laughs> question for both of you guys. Do you, do you guys have a, um, an unsung hero so far? Or somebody in the future you think is going to be? Yeah, I, uh, is it, I do. Is it hard? I feel like we have the same person. No, there's no way you have to, it's, oh, okay. the, it's my guy. It's the guy I talk about all the time. Who is it for you? I mean, Josh Hart. Okay, all right. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. But I'm going to give you two, though. I mean, Jimmy Butler, obviously. I think I know who you're going to say. Yeah, Derek White, obviously. Yeah. Uh, all Derek right. White, yeah. I, I, all right, I understand. He's playing really well. He's playing offensively. He's averaging 20 a game as of this recording. Yeah, he, he's He's been awesome. I... I we we did this whole thing about Alfred's. Um, are you familiar with uh, Batman Begins? You've seen the movie, the first Christopher Nolan movie. I'm more of a Marvel guy, but yeah, okay. I know what you're talking about? Yeah, so uh, Ra's al Ghul, you know, he burns Batman's house down, uh, Wayne Manor, and uh, Bruce Wayne goes in, <clears throat> and the burning beam falls on him, and he's stuck there. You know, house is on fire, burning beams on him, can't get it off, and who comes in to save him? Alfred, right? Yeah. And to me, Derek White is the ultimate Alfred. Like yeah, he sure. is like. Just any matchup, any series, 
he's going to figure out a way to make an impact and help the stars. And truth be told, he's to me, he's starred in that series so far. He's been awesome. He's been awesome all season. The fact they got him for not a whole lot from San Antonio yeah. is remarkable. Is remarkable. Him and Brogdon, they get these guys who they bring them in for not a lot. And they UVA. Brogdon. Just making sure you know. I begged, I begged the Clippers to draft Brogdon in yeah. uh, in 2016. They had uh, they had the 25th pick and I think the 33rd pick, and they chose Bryce Johnson, UNC guy. Mm, yeah, I remember. And Diamond Stone, a Maryland guy. I remember him too. Yeah, those guys didn't last as long as Brogdon. No, definitely what's not. The, what's the all time UVA starting five? How does it I'm gonna just say I'm not in it. I, I, I'm I'm gonna be honest enough to say I'm not in it. I Probably have to say Brogdon, Ralph. I feel like I'm missing. Oh, Sean Singletary. He's definitely in there. Um, probably DeAndre. I'm going to go to a more modern lineup. For what they did at UVA, I'll put in Kyle. So I'll have DeAndre at the five. It'll be a relatively smaller lineup. Probably different from how they would play, but that's the five that I would go with. Okay. Can't argue with that because you're naming guys that want a chip. Yeah, I'm gonna go Ralph Sampson. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go um, Harold Dean. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna go <laughs> Curtis Staples, uh, Junior Burrow, and uh, I'm gonna throw DeAndre Hunter in there. I know a lot of basketball, but going a little <laughs> way back from my from my nineties, bro. It's the nineties. I wasn't alive. Wasn't alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, real quick on on Jimmy Butler uh, and the Miami Heat. Jimmy, in particular, is a very interesting player to me because so much of the game, he feels passive as a scorer, and then it gets to the fourth quarter a lot of times, and he just kind of says, all right, it's my time to score. I'm going to be really aggressive. And when he had 56, it was the opposite. Well, not the opposite, but the opposite starting approach where he really was aggressive scoring early. And if he hadn't been that way, they might've been down 15 or 20 by the start of the second second quarter. Um, But the interesting thing about this whole series is Miami was 27th in three-point percentage this year. They're 34.4% through four games against the Bucs. They're shooting 47.6%. We've talked about the mid-range and how important that is in the playoffs. But if you're allowing a team to shoot 48% from three, you're in trouble. You're going to lose. And I just, again, we may not know. I don't know if that's sustainable. I think Milwaukee will have won last night, but I could be wrong in game five because this is coming out Thursday. But I, I think I think the shooting is unsustainable. In guarding Jimmy, do you ever feel that? Do you ever see that playing against him? Just the, the passivity at times to be a scorer and then the aggressiveness, the sort of combination of the two. That actually leads me to a story that I have. And um, I'm going to give the cleaner version of this because uh, obviously, like, you know, clean version. But um, we're playing Miami in Miami. It's fourth quarter, probably around like two minutes left, like one and a half. And Jimmy's been hooping all game. And I'm on him at this point. Like, I'm guarding Jimmy. And he looks at Kyle and says, go get the ball. And he says it multiple times. And I'm just like, all right, like, I guess I'm not guarding Jimmy. I guess I'm going to be guarding Jimmy while he's chilling in the corner. Kyle Lowry scores 12 straight points. And we lose that game. 
part of our 10 game losing streak. <laughs> and I was just like, there's no way this just happened. Like, and he's coming down hitting tough shots, like cross, cross, mid range, falling away, knockdown. And it's just like, it just shows you how good guys are in the NBA because they can literally turn it on in an instance. Yeah. Whenever they want to. And also with the help of Jimmy Butler telling you, go get the damn ball. Like <laughs> that's empowering. Yeah, that's yeah, empowering. for sure. Or it's like, I don't really want to I don't really want to deal with this dude right now. So <laughs> I'm gonna just do it. And it's like guarding Jimmy, a lot of it is like you just can't put your hands on him, especially in the regular season, because he's gonna draw fouls. Right now, I feel like he's really just scoring at will. Where it's just like yeah. he doesn't care if he's getting fouled or not. But in the regular season, I feel like he's like somewhat coasting and he's like, all right, I'm going to get to the free throw line. I'm going to get to my spots. And if you jump on this pump fake, I'm going to hit you in your rib and I'm going to go to the foul line while you're holding your rib. It's interesting because people talk about guys getting to their spots and Jimmy to me embodies that more than anyone. Absolutely. Where like you can't speed him up. Um, He gets unbothered by contact and a lot of times he does draw a foul, but if you're physical with him, like it just, he's, it doesn't seem to like phase him. It's not like, Oh, I'm going to speed up now or you're going to take me off my spot. He just like, no, I'm still going to just play at my own pace and do my own thing. Um, Luca's like Luca's like that a little bit oh, yeah, too. A lot, a lot. They're similar in that regard. Trey, this has been awesome, man. You're welcome on the show anytime. Um, sorry for the ribbing. Don't take it personally. Yeah, I won't. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. That sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I've ranted about this before, but I mean it. I miss the days when coaches wore suits to games, like Pat Riley. He just knew how to dress. And you can too, thanks to Indochino. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom. Wear your new look right out of the box and stay out of your budget's red zone with custom suits starting at just $3.99. I'm calling finals games now. and My plan is to outdress the legend Mike Breen. That's going to be a difficult task. I just got this navy suit from Indochino and I did all my measurements online. I was able to customize the fabric so it's just right for my skin. The process was super fast and I was especially impressed by that pricing. And if you need a suit but don't know where to begin... Indochino tells you what's in style, so you're not guessing when choosing customizations. So think of Pat Riley and level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code OLDMAN to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code OLDMAN. Well, Tommy, that was a fun conversation with Trey. Let's get to the mailbag. What do we have to start? We got a lot today. We got six pages of questions. I don't think we're going to get through all six pages. I don't think, unfortunately, we're going to get through a lot. Let's start start with Jake Lee from Twitter writes in, uh, which player do you think has the most to gain from this year's playoffs? Uh, And he says as a comp, thinking like Jalen Brunson from last year. Right. Oh, interesting question. Um, you know, what's funny. I, we were asked this question on first take and I said, uh, I said Giannis, um, because the list of, uh, multiple people who have won multiple MVPs and multiples, multiple finals MVPs is, uh, you can count them on one hand and they're all 
NBA legends. Actually, I think there's I think there's six of them total. So he would be the seventh. You know, I, I thought I thought he had a chance basically to cement sort of his long term le- legacy as a top ten, top fifteen player of all time. I, if he's using Jalen Brunson as a comp, uh, then that kind of leads me in the direction of someone who is a potential free agent. Um, and similar to last year, because a lot of guys just re-sign with their teams, it's not a very deep free agent class. Um, you know, if I look at teams that I think potentially could win an NBA championship, and and most of the teams that are still in, I still feel pretty strongly about. Um, I don't know who's a free agent. Who who's a free agent? I actually don't. Well, know I think the- I could think of one person um, who plays in New York City who's going to get paid. Oh, well, yeah. Josh is going to get paid. Yeah, he'll get paid for sure. I'll give you one. Evil F. <laughs> I'll give you one. Uh, we saw his performance last night against the Lakers. Desmond Bain, our guy Desmond Bain. Oh, yeah. Look, I think he's going to get, they're going to extend him. Uh, they'd be stupid not to. And given that they're, a, you know, a smaller market, given that they drafted him, I, I would expect him uh Maybe not the max, but close to it for that rookie extension. I don't think it's out of the the realm of possibility that you know he's averaging, call it thirty five a year on that contract. Um, especially because you've got next year, which is twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four. You've got year one of the deal in twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five, and then in year two, the TV, the new TV money kicks in. You have to assume. Uh, there'll be a bump in the salary or the 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 um the cap. So he's gonna get he's gonna get paid regardless. He he has a chance to to get pretty damn close to the max if he plays the way he did last night, and the Grizzlies end up winning and make it making a deeper run in the playoffs. Yeah, he's been unbelievable. I like that question. Um, O'Shea Brissett Burner, O'Shea Mr. Um, what's the greatest playoff performance you've witnessed in person? <sighs> Great question. The greatest, the greatest series from a player that I witnessed in person was the 09 Conference Finals. LeBron James averaged 38, 8, and 8 for the series uh, in six games. We threw everything at him. I don't think the rest of their team was... Um, it, was it was pre this notion that you need to put you know, shooters around LeBron. It was, you know, pre-heat, pre-calves. So we just clogged everything up. And we threw multiple bodies at him. We always had a guy at the nail. You know, he wasn't taking a ton of jumpers. And he just... Just a buzzer beater year? Yeah, that was game two. And he just got to the fucking basket and scored and put everybody in foul trouble. Um, Greatest single game was definitely Kawhi, game six, 2021. Clippers, Mavs. We had... We had them beat. Like we were up that game, and he had the most surgical forty-four points on eighteen of twenty-five shooting, um, no wasted dribbles, just a monster. Uh, by the way, uh, we want to wish our you know we gave a little love to Victor Oladipo. We want to give some love to Kawhi. Um, <clears throat> just awful. And I know yesterday we talked about this on first take, uh, his situation. Um, and I brought the word empathy, and <clears throat> you know I I. I'm going a little tangent here and I apologize because we're going off mailbag, but I, as an athlete who has been hurt and as an athlete who's had a couple serious injuries, 
Um, nothing like a torn quad tendon, nothing like a torn meniscus, nothing like a torn ACL. Um, I know the rehab process. I know being away from the team. I know being able not to do something, being not able to do something you love. It's grueling, man. It really is. And the guys that continuously are, are having these injuries like Vic and like Kawhi, I just, I feel for them. Yeah. And the other thing I want to say is, you know, Mad Dog, and I'll talk to Mad Dog about this in person. I'm not, this is not like, I'm not throwing digs at Mad Dog. <clears throat> Mad Dog brought up um, Larry Bird playing through a concussion. He brought up Kevin McHale um, playing through a, a hairline fracture in his, uh, in his foot. And it's interesting because, look, I do think, uh, I'm not saying the game was easier. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's a reason guys were able to play through stuff. Um, you know, medical knowledge, for one. Um, the style of play of the game. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the game back in the 80s was, very, and this is not in reference to Larry Bird. This is more in reference to Kevin McHale. The game back in the 80s was very linear. Right, you're playing the mat, you know, Lakers in the finals, it's fucking up and down. And then in the half court, you're playing a little box. You're playing a little box around the paint. The Celtics had a play where they would put Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, and Larry Bird. Two of them would be on one block and one would be on the other block. And they would just set back screens for each other until one of them got the ball in the post. That's not today's NBA. I, I, I like, I know what is required to play in today's NBA. You can't, you can't do that. The other point I made yesterday, because this gets brought up all the time. It got brought up with Zion. The other point I made yesterday was this idea that, hey, you can give us 10 to 15 minutes at 70% or 80%. You're going to get fucking roasted. You're going to get roasted. And, and you're going to get exploited on the court. And within two or three possessions, if you play through a torn meniscus, if you play through a torn hamstring, you're going to get exploited. It's impossible to do that. And it's also, this is the other point, it's in the worst interest, not the best interest of the player. 1987, finals. Found, found this article yesterday after first take. Uh, wrote, they were writing about Kevin McHale and his injury. Happened in March. Didn't initially realize it had happened. Played through it. Got worse and worse and worse. They've got quotes from the doctor treating him. Yes, the bone can separate. It would cause long-term problems. It would cause screws and pins in his, and surgery in his foot. They've got a quote from Larry Bird. Well, damn, if he's going to have to have a major surgery, I say get his butt out of here, right? There's a blurb in the article. Kevin McHale in game two managed 15 points and five rebounds, but he couldn't guard James Worthy on the other end, and Worthy had 33. That is the issue. That is the issue. You can't play hurt. if you, There are guys... There are certain injuries and certain guys where you can play through injuries and be effective. A torn meniscus and a torn hamstring is not one of them. Yeah. It's well, not one like of them. Fox plays through the finger. It's a hand thing. It's a little easier pro probably to play through than a... I'll put, there, there were times in my career, like, again, no major injuries. I, although I do think anybody who's had a herniated disc, and I've had multiple herniated discs, it's, it's fucking sucks. You get a herniated disc and a spasm guy have a degenerative disc at L5S1. I've had it, you know, since I found it out two weeks before the draft. Um, you, you get a, you get a back spasm and there's varying degrees of a back spasm, but when you get a back spasm and you lock up, literally lock up, you can't move, can't get out of bed, can't tie your shoes. How the fuck am I supposed to play in a basketball game? Now there were times where, Oh, five days later, I'm like, all right, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to play through this for the next week. And I would, 
There were times I, I cracked my fibula head, and they said it's non-weight-bearing bone in your leg. As soon as you, the pain tolerance is good, so two weeks later, I played in a game. I played all, all the games until the All-Star break after that. Took another three weeks till I felt pain-free, but I was able to manage it. I didn't have the but meniscus tear, a torn hamstring. Yeah. You can't play through that. Well, also, and you mentioned this yesterday about um, just when you've played high-level sports, you understand this. When you have an injury, it, it greatly increases the chances of, A, making the injury worse or potentially adding another injury off because your body isn't right. And I'll give you a specific example of this. This is what happened with Vic. Yeah. His first injury was because he was playing hurt. Yeah. And if he wasn't if he wasn't playing hurt, who knows if that happens? And D Rose to a certain extent when he tore his ACL was probably like that too. It's like you have to you there's a reason why you have these medical staffs. KD. I mean, he had a he had a calf injury that he was out that he was nursing, ended up tearing his Achilles. Like I hate talking about these injuries because I actually feel sick to my stomach. It it's it's gross. Um it's gross. The point about the cumulative effect is is great too, because I, I think Injuries beget injuries. And Todd Wright, who's an absolute legend in the sports performance space, longtime UT head trainer, went to Philly, <clears throat> worked with him in Philly. He's now head of sports performance uh, with the Clippers. Um, he always used to say to me, you guys are master compensators. That's what he would say. Y- you guys figure out ways to play. And the bad part about that is, eventually that leads to a serious injury and going back to Kawhi, I know he's got a long road ahead and I know he's going to load manage for the rest of his career, but Jesus, man, I just want to see him on the court. He's fucking that good. You saw it in game one, game one and two. Um, Nathan Langone writes in, do you think with their current success, Sacramento is a destination stars will be considering their style of basketball is something to be desired. It's a good question because Sacramento is not necessarily a free agent destination historically. Um, I think Mike Brown, I saw an interview with him the other day. He was with uh, Ernie and the guys on TNT. He was talking about the growth of his career and, and how he has developed basically a modern coaching style and how much that has changed since you know, the early 2000s when he was with Pop, right? And his time with Cleveland or his time with the Lakers. And I'm, I'm listening to this interview and I'm like, fuck, man, I, that's a guy I'd want to play for. Yeah. What's interesting about Sack, though, is they're so young. They don't, I said this on sports, or on first take yesterday, they don't need to be a free agent destination. Now, who knows what happens with Harrison Barnes? He's probably, you know, one of their, their older guys or whatever. But their core group of young guys are all, what, 27 or younger? Yeah, they've got a long runway here, and I, I think if they can draft around the edges really well, and if they can pick up rotation level guys, maybe a fifth starter, whatever happens with Barnes. Again, I'm not saying Barnes should leave. I'm just saying they've got a bright future regardless. I don't know that they need to be a free agent destination. Yeah, because sometimes when you add another star to a system, this is a record setting offense. I mean, it's not like you need more points. It's like you need guys that can help around the margins. Yeah. Um, not a Laker hater, uh, is the Twitter. <laughs> I love these. Who's the most underrated role player? The most, uh, it's Derek White. I, I know I keep saying this. Yeah. Like Derek White. So what's interesting is I think it was, uh, I don't know if DeJounte talked directly about this, but there were times where like 
Derek White was the number, I mean, there was a playoff series where he was the number one guy. You know, at times, most of the time it was DeJounte. But you get a guy who has been a one guy, a two guy, a three guy, you know, a four guy too in San Antonio. So he's had all those roles. He understands all those roles. Then you bring him to a team with two stars and a bunch of guys kind of like him that have been in a bunch of different roles and starred in those roles. To me, he's the perfect role guy. Yeah. The perfect role guy. Yeah. He can, he can do everything for you. Do you think he should be playing more down the stretch? Yeah. I mean, that, that was a big thing. I brought up, uh, there's a, a, we had a 50 second video yesterday. They, They made six egregious bad decisions. Uh, one of which, which wasn't a B-roll, but one of which was he didn't play down the stretch in game five. And they started the clip too too late. But at the at the start of the last play, and by the way, ridiculous shot from Trey Young. Yeah. Ridiculous. Ridiculous last three minutes. Yeah, yeah. You know he had a 100% usage rate in clutch time? Like he literally did everything <laughs> offensively for the Hawks. That's unheard of. 100% usage rate. Could we, I don't know, this is another sidebar. Could we give Trey Young a little credit? Because I feel like he was a punching bag all season. And yeah. they're probably not going to win this series. Yeah. Almost certainly not going to win this series. But I feel like he has redeemed himself significantly over the last, you know, whatever month or so. And this is a guy that got to the conference finals two years ago. So he's had a great career for where he is in his, yeah, in his life. I think, I think it's with him. uh, He's a star. Uh, There's no question. He's a guy and look to, to a degree. I think I've talked about this before. This is not a knock on Luca. Uh, Both of them, you've got to figure out the right way to build around them. And that's the, that's a challenge. Um, Like, Kevin Durant, Jason Tate, like they're just they're they're not pl- they're plug and play, but it's just like big wings that can guard multiple positions. They're the the biggest luxury to have, and when you have a star at that position, they're the to me they're the easiest people yeah. to build around. Derek White, beginning of the play, he's guarding Trey Young, and to me, he's the guy that probably can guard. Trey Young the best in space, meaning he, pickup point can be higher, his length can recover quicker, and they point switch to get Jalen Brown, which is fine, like Jalen Brown, but then Jalen Brown's pickup point was a little too low. Marcus Smart came way too late on the double. You see him as Trey's pulling up. He's like running into the frame. And the way they had set up with someone in the dunker spot, I would have just sent Marcus, as soon as Trey Young caught the ball, I would have just sent Marcus Smart and rotated out of it. Yeah, they had an opportunity to do that, and they it was they tried, but it was two seconds too late. Uh, I'm going to combine these three questions because they're similar, and they're about three uh, one play one playoff team, one half playoff team, and one non playoff team. But just what they can do this summer to get better. Raphael Fer- uh, Ferron, Mark Jackson Jr., and Nick Delisio asks about Brooklyn, the Wizards, and the Bulls. And so, if we have we're just making one, we don't have to go deep on these teams, but we're, like one thing they should be thinking about this summer that where they can improve, what are we thinking? Uh, with the Wizards and the Bulls, I'd blow it up. Uh, very clear, blow it up. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, you think you think the Bulls for sure blow it up? Yeah. Yeah, um, sorry. Uh, and look, I they're probably in that four, five, six spot if they have Lonzo. Yeah. Um, but that's probably the ceiling, even with the healthy Lonzo. Um, your ceiling's not that high without Lonzo. So, uh, look, if you want to be in the play every year, I get it. But 
that's kind of where their trajectory is right now. Um, and it's not a knock necessarily on their players because I like a lot of their players. It's more about how those players fit. It's more about their shot profile. Um, they don't take threes. They can't make threes. Uh, it's hard to win. Yep, it's hard to win. Um, Porzingis had a good year. They're, you know, he's got a player option. He could be up for an extension. I just think they, outside of getting John Wall with number one, they've always sort of lived in that space. And I think the last time they got out of the first round, if I'm not mistaken, was 2016. Yeah, Boston. So you're on a seven-year run with either play-in, first round, or non-playoffs. Um, and with the current roster, I, you blow it up. Uh, Brooklyn is interesting. Um, I think you go for a star. I think you wait, see what happens in the playoffs, see who becomes available, and you go for a star. Because they have tradable pieces. Um, they have a contract. And it may be hard to move, obviously. We know who we're talking about. They have a contract. Yeah. They can go get a star. And they have draft assets. So that's that's the path forward, I think, for Brooklyn. What do you think, for Antonio R. writes in, what do you think it will take for Philly to put it all together? I think besides Joel's health, obviously. Yeah, I mean that's that's the obvious one. Um, to me, it, it's it's especially in this second round. And I hate to simplify it to this. To me, it probably comes down to uh, Boston's turnovers, and on the other end, can Philly sort of at least keep pace th- on three pointers? Um. And we can, look, we'll do something next week, I'm sure, where we really get into this series because it's, it's going to be awesome. But that's sort of the markers that I'm looking for. Because I think Boston, when they struggle, it's bad decision-making, especially down the stretch of games. So can they limit turnovers, create good shots like they normally do in the half court, and can Philly keep pace from three-point land? Yeah. The Jarrell Life writes, can you dig into what days in between playoff games are like while staying in an away city? <sighs> yeah, it's it's different than the regular season. Uh, regular season, you know, if you're on a road trip and you have a day off in a city, you still go to the gym and you still get your treatment, you still lift weights like you would in the playoffs, but you explore a little bit. Maybe you organize a team dinner. Maybe if you have a friend in that city, you go to dinner. Um, the playoffs are always just more insular. Uh, that you, you, I mean, there were times I didn't leave the hotel room. There were times maybe I went out to dinner with two or three guys the night before a game, but it's way more meetings. It's way more film. Um, you know, you might get in the regular season on certain teams, you get there for shoot around or you get there. A lot of teams now do shoot around at the arena at four or four thirty prior to the game, but you may get a five minute segment on personnel and then a 10 to 15 minute video max and it's that gets multiplied 2x 3x on both those things during the playoffs so you you have personnel like i was on teams where you had personnel meetings every day during the playoffs is there we were talking about this with trey on on the show but after the show the other day is there a with the timing being off with some of these games because of the playoffs, is there an adjustment that it takes from a body standpoint just getting yourself especially you know you've had such a sort of defined routine guys who have routines like that. Is there a thing where you have to just adjust there at all? Um, earlier? Yes. Later. It was never an adjust. It just meant more nap time for me. 
It just meant for an extra time. 45 minutes. Yeah. It just meant I, I had a clearer head when it was time to put the head on the pillow. I was like, oh, I have a long window here. I don't need to, I don't need to rush this. It was beautiful. Um, so sometimes you might get a central team that gets a 6.30 game or a 6 o'clock game. Weekends, obviously, that's different. Uh, Christmas Day was always the same way where you could potentially get like a 5.30 game. or th- Those were the worst to me, yeah. especially if you did shoot around in the morning because it kind of throws your whole routine off. But as long as it's like 6.30 or later, it, it feels pretty much the same. Thank you for your questions. We appreciate you as always. If you like The Old Man of the Three, you can listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off. And everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.